What a, what a marvelous time it is to be part of the joy of each one of these families as they send their young people on to the next stage in life. So grateful for them, so grateful for all of you who participate in ministry with children all the way through youth. It means so much. It is everything. It is everything. As a church, we want to build families, and one of the ways we do that is to, is to do everything we can to build up the faith of our children and young people. So I'm, my heart's full today. Bob, your heart has to be full to see this group of 50 or so, 49, I guess. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. I think we're going to hear from you again in a minute, right? Or in about 30 minutes or 45 minutes or 50 minutes or an hour and a half or whatever it takes for me to finish. <laughs> this week is the second to the last message in the series on Faith Matters. We began it some weeks ago. We've had some, some Sundays where we picked up other topics for various reasons, but we're coming back to that series again today. You all just disappeared. Everything got dark here, okay? I don't know if that was on purpose or what. So this morning, I want to talk about faith and its relationship to doubt. Faith and doubt. I can't help but think about these young people who are going off to college because I taught college and I remember encountering students that struggled with their faith. One day, class was over. It was a large lecture hall and the students were filing out and one student stayed behind. He waited till everybody in the hall had left. Then he came forward Big, big guy. Found out later he was a voice major, but he looked like a linebacker. <laughs> and he said, Dr. Sands, that was, that was really, really good. I've been talking about faith and doubt, religious doubt, the nature of doubt, and how we as believers should try to deal with doubt. He said, that, that was really good. You, you need to talk about that more often. Well, I appreciate it. I smiled. I said, well, thanks. I guess all of us at one time or another deal with doubt. And I think my manner made him feel like I was brushing him off, like I wasn't taking him seriously. So he raised his voice just a little bit, lowered it just a little bit. And he was a big guy, so I paid attention. He says, no, I'm serious. He said, you need to talk about doubt. It could save somebody's life. Well, that took me aback. We found a place where we could sit down and we talked for the next hour and I learned something of his story. He grew up in church. He grew up in Sunday school, learning the Bible, learning about Jesus. And he came to college and he had so many things he wanted to learn. But as he took his philosophy classes as he read books about world religions. He found that his questions began to multiply and his answers couldn't keep up with it. And that really unsettled him because his faith in which he had been raised seemed unstable, like it may not be able to survive what he was learning at college. And you know, that kind of experience 
is not unusual. It's not unusual for college students, but it's also not unusual for church people. Now, sometimes doubt can be a sin. There's no question about that. It can be. Some people doubt, for example, that the Bible is true because the Bible forbids them to do what they want to do, and it's very convenient to doubt that it's the Word of God when you want to go your own way. And there are some people who doubt out of a kind of spiritual dullness. Their heart isn't filled with love for God or desire for God, and so they just don't really have any time for it, and their faith begins to erode. So doubt can be the result of sin, or it could be, the, it could be sin itself, but not always, not always. The fact is we're human beings. We don't have all the answers. We are frequently wrong about a whole array of issues. How do we know we're not wrong about some element of our faith? So just a decent modicum of humility causes us at one time or another to have doubts about what we believe. Sometimes that can be a good thing. I mean, you can't learn anything new till you doubt the old. And education is in part a process of doubting what you thought you knew. So it can be a good thing, but it is inevitable that we will at one time or another doubt. And what's interesting is if you go to the New Testament, you find that doubt is not unknown even among the Lord's disciples. So for example, in Matthew chapter 28, we're all familiar with the Great Commission, right? Well, just before you get to the Great Commission, there's a very interesting verse. Really, it's two verses, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Distazo in the Greek. The verb means to doubt or waver or hesitate. Hesitate to commit yourself to a particular belief or to commit yourself to some action based on that belief. Distazo, it refers to being in two minds. On the one hand, you believe. On the other hand, you don't believe. You go back and forth and you're not quite sure. It's the state of mind we saw in the man we talked about, oh, was it last week or the week before? I believe help my unbelief. And so here are these disciples. It's after the resurrection. Jesus appears to them. The resurrected Christ appears to them. He's right there in their presence and they prostrate themselves. That's what it says when they worship, literally in the Greek, they prostrated themselves before him. And they all worshiped, but it said, some doubted. Now, surely some of us can relate to that. You come to church and you sing the songs and you pray the prayers and you are genuine in what you're doing. And yet in the back of your mind, it just nags at you. Is it true? Is it right? I remember one time in seminary, I was sitting in chapel. Place was full. We're singing, someone's speaking. And I remember looking across the auditorium and thinking to myself, what if all this was just untrue? What if there were no God? 
And for that split moment, I had this strange feeling like we were just going through the motions. We were just pretending. Now, I just laughed it off and I went on. But sometimes, sometimes you get that pinprick and you can't laugh it off. Instead, it keeps coming back. And you think it through and you think it through and you finally come to some place where you think you can stand and everything's fine, you're at peace again. And then, then something is said or something happens and it comes rushing back in. And your old solution doesn't work and your mind starts working it over again and again. It nags at you. So here are these disciples in the presence of Jesus. They bow down before him. They worship, but some of them have this nagging doubt, this nagging thought. Some of you, that's your life. You live with that each Sunday. Same word is used in Matthew chapter 14. There Jesus comes to his disciples under the cover of night. They're in a boat. There's a great storm that's taking place. When they see Jesus in the midst of this storm, walking on the water, they're terrified because they think it's a ghost. So Jesus speaks to them. Listen to what he says, Matthew, or Matthew 14, verse 27. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? This thought, so why did you, why do you waver? Why do you hesitate, hold back? Well, we know why, because the wind seemed very, very real. And those surging waves, he knew those were real. It's hard to hold on to faith in some situations and when you're dealing with some questions. So faith is not all that unusual. It's not something that people don't face. And when you face it, it's disturbing and, and unsettling. And so we want to solve it. And that's when, that's when we talk to people about it and we get one of the worst answers we could ever get. It is so commonly advised, even from pulpits, that some of you are going to think, I don't know what I'm talking about when I say this. But what people tell us is, you know what? Faith isn't rational. Faith isn't rational. Faith isn't logical. You just need to believe. Take a leap of faith. That's what they say. Basically, don't worry about your doubt. Just believe. So you notice it's turning things from your mind and your heart to your will. You must will yourself to believe. But you really can't do that. You really can't do that. You can try to suppress, to repress your doubt, but it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. Try to shove it off into some closet in your mind and lock the door, but it comes out and often it comes out stronger. When people say you need to take a leap of faith, you know what they always mean? They mean leap in my direction. In other words, you're not sure, you've got doubts, so you need to take a leap of faith and you need to believe what I believe. But why should I leap in that person's direction? 
Why shouldn't I leap in the direction of the Buddha or Muhammad or whoever? How do you decide where to leap? When people say, just have faith, they're advising something known as fideism, literally faithism. You just have to believe. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. There is truth in the Fidea's position to this extent. Faith goes beyond what we can prove. I'll talk about that in a moment. But faith is not irrational. Let me tell you about one of the really important figures in church history. If you exclude the Apostle Paul, and of course Jesus, Justin Martyr would be the first great theologian of the Christian church. He was born to pagan parents, and he grew up with this passionate desire to know God. He was a bright young man, and so he decided to pursue philosophy. Philosophy means literally the love of wisdom. So Justin wanted wisdom, and he begins to pursue wisdom with all his heart. He begins with Stoicism, an ancient philosophy that had much to commend it, and for a time he was a Stoic philosopher, but eventually, Eventually, he found that Stoicism had nothing to tell him about God, and that's why he started the quest in the first place. And then he moved from Stoicism to another ancient philosophy and to another and to another until finally he accepted Platonism, the philosophy that comes from the philosopher Plato, of course. And so he taught philosophy. He was a scholar. He was a lover of wisdom. And he hoped, he hoped that he would come to a vision of God, as many Platonists said that you could, you could come to if you sought the truth with rigor. One day he was by the Mediterranean Sea. There's a place he liked to go out and meditate. And as he was thinking through some some questions in his mind, he looked behind him and there was an old man walking in his direction. He was annoyed. He was like, what are you doing in my space? So he gave him a long stare to try to scare him off. But the guy was oblivious. He just walks right up, happy, engages him in conversation. Turns out the old man was a Christian. He found out that Justin was a philosopher and so he he started asking questions, probing questions, questions that cut Justin to the core. He began to talk to him about Jesus Christ, talked about the prophets and what they said about the coming of Christ. And before he left, he said to Justin, think about what I've said to you. Think about it. And he walked off. Later, Justin writes when he's talking about this incident that at that moment, a flame was kindled in his soul. He began to rethink his, his view of, well, everything. He began to investigate, seeking to learn about Jesus Christ. And he, he realized this Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And he became a Christian. He kept his pallium, that is the philosopher's robe, because he said he now represents 
the only true and worthwhile philosophy. And he began to proclaim Christ, witnessing to all who would listen, including philosophers with whom he would often debate. He knew that Christianity was an illegal religion. In fact, he was finally martyred because of it. He and his students stood before the prefect in Rome who said, you shall be beheaded unless you deny Christ and offer a sacrifice to the gods. And their reply was, do as you will. We are Christians and we don't sacrifice to idols. And so he was put to death. But Justin often spoke of the logos. Now, the logos, that word logos in Greek, appears in the New Testament all the time. Typically, it's translated word. So in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God and the word was God. Then we learned the word was made flesh. That is, the word takes on flesh, and that is Jesus. But what's interesting is in the ancient world, if somebody heard the word logos, they might think first of word, but they might just as well think of reason, reason. Because the Stoics, those philosophers said, you know, the whole universe is filled with logos, reason. It makes sense. We have to rationally try to understand it. And so Justin would say to people, that you believe in logos, you believe in reason. Well, reason has become flesh in Jesus Christ. You want to know the truth? You find truth in Jesus Christ. That's where he took his stand. And what I would say to you is if you deal with doubt, the way to, to combat it is not to run away from it. It's not to just take some leap of faith. It's to name the doubt and seek the truth. Let the world put their heads in the sand and avoid truth. Let the world run away from hard questions. We are believers in the one who is truth. So why should we be afraid of hard questions? We must not be. There's no reason to be. If I seek truth, it's absolutely the case that some of my old beliefs may fall away. But that's a detail. That is, I've, I've, I've doubted a lot of things that I believed when I first became a Christian, but I believe more strongly in Jesus Christ than ever before. Sometimes our theology needs a little correction. Absolutely. But the truth of Jesus Christ can bear up under any inquiry. We don't have to run from truth. Instead, we run to it. We run to it. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, when we do this, this is all under the promise of Jesus Christ in John 17. He says, anyone, or rather 717, anyone who is willing to do God's will will know whether my teaching comes from God or whether it comes from me. In other words, the safest way into the truth is to have your heart set on the truth of God and to be faithful to God. 
and then God will lead you. Didn't Jesus say that he would send the Spirit? He calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth to lead us into all truth. And so the real need is not to try to suppress those questions. It's to look at them, look at them honestly and start seeking the truth about them before God, trusting that God's going to lead you where you need to go. Now, this is where we get to the plain, simple fact that (laughs) faith is not contrary to reason, but it does go beyond reason in this sense that I don't have all the answers, I don't have all knowledge, I've made mistakes and I can make mistakes, so there is always the possibility that I could make an error in what I believe. So what about that? And really the answer to that is really very simple and I'm speaking now especially to anyone here who feels attracted to to Jesus Christ but you hold back. You hold back because you're just not sure. You're just not sure. Can you make the commitment? You're hesitating. You're wavering. Speaking especially to you. If you think of life like a voyage, a ship launches from the shore and it's on the, the high seas. The voyage of life has already begun. In other words, the ship has launched, you're in the middle of the sea, and you're heading somewhere. You cannot avoid heading somewhere. You could sit back and say, you know what, I'm not sure what the right destination is. I can't set my course. But if you do that, you'll still drift somewhere. The currents will take you somewhere. The fact is, in real life, there is no escape from having to venture in faith. There's no escape from that. You you don't simply suppress all doubt. You seek the truth, but still there is a decision to be made to follow Jesus Christ. You know you're flawed and imperfect. And so at some point you have to make a decision. Can I trust that my heart that leans toward Christ is somehow prophetic of the truth, that that I've studied it, it makes sense, but can I make the commitment? Well, you know what? You're making a commitment right now, right now, whether you admit it or not, right now. If you decide not to decide, you're making a commitment. There is no neutrality in life. Jesus says, follow me, and you say yes and follow, or you say not yet, which is to say no. You see what I'm saying? We have to venture in faith. But here's what takes place. You venture in faith and then a feedback loop is set up. This is is what I would claim happens. It's happened to me. It's happened to people in this room. You, You face your doubts honestly. And though you can't prove that Jesus Christ is the way, your soul tells you it's so. So you venture in faith, and in the very living comes the proof. As you follow Jesus Christ, you will find that he never fails, that he is real, 
even in the seasons where you doubt, if you keep your trust in him, you will find that you'll pass through that and look back and see how he was working all the time. I can look at periods of time in my life when it seemed like the Lord was a million miles away and there he was. When I look back, I see how he was working all the time. And so there's a kind of feedback loop that helps us. Now you might say, okay, great, great. I inquire and then I still have to venture but I'm still unsettled. What do I do about that? And here's the final word. This is something that I shared with that student who came to me that day some years ago. In fact, this was, this was the word that really helped him break through. Now, I don't know what is to be said if you're talking from an atheist point of view when the atheist has a crisis of faith or a Buddhist, or a Hindu, or anything else. But from within the Christian faith, there's a scripture that I think really helps. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Well, what kind of works do we do? We do? trying to win God's approval. Well, we try to live morally upright lives. We try to serve God faithfully. Sometimes we even try to believe all the right things. I've got to get my head just right. I've got to believe all the right things so I can be accepted by God. It's a kind of intellectual good work. But are we saved by our works? Surely not. From within the Christian view of things, there is the justification by grace through faith. For someone who's dealing with doubt, it can be a difficult thing to hold on to this, but I know from talking to seminary students, I know from talking to the student I mentioned earlier, it is a liberating thing to realize that we can, we can be wrong about some things and by the grace of God, still be saved, still be accepted. God's hand still upon us. I want you to think about something. In a world in which it's inevitable you'll make mistakes, do you have to make every doubting thought into a major issue? Can you not trust the goodness of God to take you through? To take you through. So faith and doubt. Doubt is sort of like the shadow of faith. It just follows it along. It's always possible. And for some of us, some of us, given our personalities, it's really hard to shake off. I've known people who the minute they have an opinion, they're absolutely certain it's correct because it's their opinion. I've known people like that. But I've also known people that when they have an opinion, they have no confidence in it because, because it's their opinion and they might be wrong. If you're in that second class of person, you'll always have that doubt as a, as a shadow following you around, but you don't need to be overcome by it. You don't need to run from it. We follow Jesus Christ, the Lagos, the truth we are philosophers. 
lovers of wisdom. We follow him who will never mislead and never fail us. And so we are free. We are free. We are free and afraid of nothing, of nothing, because we stand with the truth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to truth, which is to the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is salvation in him, there is freedom in him. Some of us, Lord, struggle so terribly with doubt, and yet, God, and yet we know you are with us. Would you help us, Lord, each one of us in our own walk? We're all, we're all dealing with slightly different issues, but for those who are struggling with doubt, would you help them, God, to not be afraid of the doubt, but to seek the truth, to seek it as those who wish to obey God and to trust the promise of God that the spirit of truth will lead them truly. And Lord, for anyone here in this service that is right on the precipice of making that decision to follow Jesus Christ, would you help them to venture in faith, Lord? Give them the courage of faith to take that step, we pray. Right now, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand, please?